This is The School Bell, brought to you by Independent Schools Queensland, the peak body promoting, supporting and developing Queensland's independent schools. It was important for me to find a school that was suitable for both my kids. Highly accomplished and lead teachers are doing amazing things every day in the classrooms. So by prioritising uh, wellbeing, giving it uh, the opportunity to be uh, explicitly addressed, that makes such a difference to improving everyone's wellbeing and of course teachers benefit from that. Hello, I'm Shari Armistead, Director of Strategic Relations at Independent Schools Queensland. Welcome to The School Bell. In this episode, I'm speaking with Donna Cross. Dr Cross is a behavioural scientist and professor at the University of Western Australia and the Program Head of Health Promotion and Education at Telethon Kids Institute. For her leadership improving children's mental health and well-being, Donna was awarded the 2012 WA Australian of the Year and she's an invited fellow of the Australian Academy of Health and Medical Science. Welcome, Donna. Hi, sorry. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for doing the School Bell with us. You've recently co-authored an Our Schools, Our Future research paper for ISQ entitled School Leaders and Staff Wellbeing is Critical for Student Success. Let's start with that. Why is school leaders and staff wellbeing so important? I think that's probably the, the most important question that we could be asking around uh, wellbeing in schools and particularly why school leaders and staff well-being is so important for students as well as for themselves. So when we think about the success of a school community, if the school is well-led and obviously has quality teaching, then everybody uh, is experiencing good health and well-being. So by supporting teachers' well-being, they get benefits both professionally and personally, and, uh, and that in turn obviously improves their own health and relationships and, of course, their creativity but also it really uh, improves the quality of their or their ability to provide quality professional commitment and, uh, and job performance. And of course, when teachers are well, so are, so are students well. And uh, they're teaching well, then students are also performing academically well. So it's a, a really important integrated sort of intertwined relationship between uh, school leaders' well-being, staff well-being, and then the impact that that has on students' well-being and, of course, everyone's success academically, developmentally, and uh, and through their well-being. That really is that interrelationship that is so important, isn't it? And I think that uh, quite often you might see them, people focusing on student well-being or staff well-being, but from what you're saying, it's in, really important to put them together. That's right, Shari. I think that um, we're drawing artificial lines if we are saying that we're only focusing on staff well-being because the interrelationship, as you said, is just so critical. And, uh, and it really is, uh, you know, a virtuous or a vicious cycle. You know, if we, if everybody's well, then it benefits and, and everybody gets the benefits, um, from interaction with each other. But if, uh, if one is not well or is not uh, experiencing support, then that in turn can affect all, all those in the school environment, uh, with whom they're interacting. And of course, all of schools want to have great outcomes for students, and this is a part of that. And I think a lot of the time you might hear, and we certainly will touch on some of those things, those school work environment conditions that can impact on staff well-being. That's probably because they put themselves last, isn't it, when they put the students first? Is that part of that impact on them, do you think? Very much so. I think, Shari, they, 
people go into teaching because they're caring professionals, which means that they will often be putting themselves last relative to the role that they're playing. And teachers have been and are you know, really frontline. And uh, and you know, during COVID, they, they have been you know, members of the community who have had to keep on keeping on and support students. And I think that the focus has been intensely on student well-being, and we look at the sort of rhetoric in the in the media at the moment. And I think it's you know, it, it is really critical, and I, I really uh, commend um, uh, your office for focusing on staff well-being because we can't look at this. Uh, we can't look at student well-being independent of staff well-being, and we absolutely need to make this a priority across our system, and uh, and obviously within schools. So let's go through some of those things that do impact on that staff well-being. So there's things like stress and burnout. Is that um, what, what can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, we uh, in the report uh, that uh, your office commissioned, we we focused on the sort of major. Um, work environment and the and sorts and conditions that are affecting staff well-being and, and what's what's the evidence around that. And we identified um, five factors which are, uh, are really having the greatest impact and they include um, stress and burnout, as you just mentioned, Shari, but also um, teachers' experiences of violence and aggressive behaviours uh, within the school community, so parents, students or even other staff. The, the workload... Um, uh, intensity and you know, just the, the quantum of, uh, of work that uh, teachers are, uh, and, and school leaders are being exposed to. And of course the challenge of, uh, of keeping uh, staff, uh, recruiting the right people who have the enthusiasm, commitment and passion to support students and, uh, and, and care for their well-being and academic outcomes, but also retaining um, uh, te- uh, teachers as well as school leaders. Now we, we have a real problem, as, as I know you and the listeners would know, that uh, we lose a lot of teachers after their second year of teaching. So, you know, what are the factors that we need to be putting in place to support teachers, particularly through those first three to five years? And the fifth factor that really uh, has obviously affected uh, staff well-being and a school leader well-being is the impact of COVID. In the last two years, have been. Um, uh, an incredible challenge for staff and, and for leaders, as we've already talked about, and and, and really compounded kind of the, the pre-pandemic issues uh, that were related to um, you know, work-life balance and workload intensification, of course, burnout with with teachers and uh, and the increased uncertainty and of course adjusting the um, the way that we're teaching and and uh, the impacts of online learning on instruction has really um, has really affected um, possibly relationships and. Certainly our data uh, from some research that we did in Western Australia where we've had very little COVID relative to the rest of the world and particularly Australia, we found that about 75% of teachers reported elevated stress levels um, through uh, 2020 and that, and that just over 80% of teachers reported that the pandemic had increased their workload um, a bit or a lot um, through that through that time. So interestingly, those other four factors are probably always there, but the COVID overlay on top of all of that just has heightened all of those uh, stresses. That's right, Shari. It's almost like a sort of an amplification of uh, of you know, all of those things that have always been evident for teachers. And of course, we know stress and burnout. Our, our teaching profession uh, experiences that at the highest order as, uh, relative to other occupations. Violence and aggressive behaviours uh, are evident, but but appear to be much more evident uh, in in recent years. And uh, as I said before, the sort of frontline 
uh, workload uh, that uh, teachers have, and uh, and of course retaining um, good quality teachers and, and and leaders is is just so critical in the context of, of all of these factors. So, what factors can improve school leaders and staff well-being? Well, we we spent quite a bit of time looking at empirical evidence to uh, to, to have uh, a deep understanding of not only what factors, but but how do you how do you set up environments to make sure that school leaders and uh, and school staff can can really do their very best to enhance their, their well-being. So, some of those conditions relate sort of the the practice and environment conditions. So. You know how how well uh, the system and school resources can kind of cushion the impacts of the various job demands and stresses that uh, that teachers have. So things like um, the physical space in a school environment, so even the the staff room. You know, having fruit in a bowl in the middle of the staff room. How we create uh, classroom structures for the composition of classrooms, um, the ways that schools approach uh, disciplinary actions, and how much autonomy staff have. So all of those are, are kind of practice conditions that uh, can impact on on staff uh, job satisfaction, but also on their well-being. Another factor which uh, which we found also makes a lot of difference is the quality of the leadership, and, uh, and that uh, is, is impacted mostly when we think about the school climate and the role that the school leader has on the school climate. You know, we have a school environment that feels warm, where relationships are valued, where um, it's really meaningful. And authentic um, uh, conversations and communication within the school, where there's decision-making opportunities for staff, all of these factors are really important for someone's sort of mental and emotional well-being. And those, and the leadership, of course, drives that with a really clear vision, clear expectations for the staff to understand what the priorities are in the school, that there's opportunities to delegate to distributed leadership. All of those factors are, uh, are so important when it relates to sort of leadership and staff engagement. And there are two more factors, two uh, big groups of factors that seem to make a difference, and they were uh, policy and cultural factors, and also the social environment and the way that we interact. So, you know, the ways that uh, children are supported in their behaviour, and the way that uh, they are included in um, decision making within a school, the extent to which student voice is engaged. Having students owning and being part of the school decision making makes them more engaged and more positive. And if students are functioning well, obviously that uh, washes on to teachers' well-being also. And that, that relates again to discipline. If there are clear um, uh, consequences that the school has set out and there's a, a clear pathway, that, uh, that will, of course, impact uh, teacher well-being and, of course, school leader, school leader well-being as well. And last but not least is in a policy, making sure that we have really clear policies and, and procedures and, uh, and that there's uh, opportunities for staff uh, to really feel like they are, um, uh, are being supported and that there are multiple ways within the school environment where teachers feel acknowledged um, by their colleagues by uh, leadership and, of course, by students and by families. And when teachers feel good about the way that they are functioning within a school environment, they're more open to acknowledging and supporting students because they're in a better place. So when we get our policies and procedures right, when we get the social and cultural factors uh, right, when we've got good leadership who is uh, being clear with vision and, uh, and providing autonomy and support, then those factors appear to make the most difference. To school leaders and staff will be.
There are five wellbeing recommendations in the report that you have um, identified. Can we go through those one by one, please? I think that would be very helpful for people to hear those. So the first one, prioritising the school community's wellbeing and ensuring improvements are contextual, sustain evidence-based practice, focus on relationships and underpin the whole school culture. So after reviewing all the literature uh, that's uh, contained within the report, um, we wanted to be able to point to uh, what are the actions that will make the most difference going forward. And um, one of the challenges I think we've had with wellbeing is it's often considered soft within a school environment, but really it's non-cognitive skills. So by prioritising uh, wellbeing, giving it uh, the opportunity to be uh, explicitly addressed, that makes such a difference to improving everyone's wellbeing and of course teachers benefit from that as well. But when, uh, when schools are prioritising wellbeing, it needs, it needs to be relevant. So hence the comment about the improvements need to be contextual. So you could get a cookie cutter model and you could lay, um, you know, some shiny program that's um, been developed by someone in the community into the school. But that's not going to be helpful because school wellbeing is very contextually based. There are factors that we've identified in our research and other people's research that shows that schools really need to create something that's a bit more bespoke and that uses the rare resources that we have around uh, supporting wellbeing really well and in, in ways that are meaningful and, and really helpful to the school. So they need to be um, uh, developed in a way that approaches the whole school culture and, uh, and really uh, sets up, um, you know, for example, a, um, a dedicated wellbeing team to enable uh, whatever practices are put in place to, to be sustained and to really focus on relationships. And we know that our relationships are the fourth R, read and write and arithmetic and relationships. And so um, providing support for the social and emotional wellbeing uh, for staff as well as students is, is critical. So hence, our first recommendation is that we really need schools to think about prioritising wellbeing. It's not going to naturally happen. It needs to be relevant and contextually based. It needs to have a dedicated team who are focusing on relationships and uh, really building a positive whole school culture. So the second one of your recommendations is enabling and sustaining supportive leadership practices that build teacher wellbeing. Can we go through that one? I think one of, one of the challenges we often have is that uh, school leaders are just so exhausted. Um, I think Napoleon has the quote that uh, at the top of a pyramid, the wind blows on all four sides. And so if we don't support um, the leadership in schools, then they in turn are not able to support staff and uh, support their well-being, and there's a cascading effect. And there is some research that suggests that 40% of the variance we see between a high-functioning school and, a, and a, a less effective school is related directly to who the principal is. So really working out ways um, for the leader to be supported and the leadership team to be supported is critical. So that's a system-level issue and a, and a challenge uh, that must be addressed. But also the school community needs to recognise the importance of supporting the leadership team. And then in turn, the leadership team um, is able to deliver practices that will really help to build teacher wellbeing. So really normalising a positive and supportive leadership role. We know that uh, when we enhance teacher self-efficacy, that increases the likelihood that they'll also be able to build the self-efficacy of students and those around them. That's another issue in, in this, this particular uh, recommendation is the importance of really establishing a, uh, a meaningful career growth so that, um, that 
that school leaders can and other staff can really conceptualise where their role is and, and what their role is in caring for their own and other staff as well as uh, students' wellbeing. So it's real clarity around the roles, isn't it? And also, as you say, um, certainly we've talked a lot about teachers and uh, and their stresses, but we also know, and you've certainly referenced it in the report, that the principal leadership um, is vitally important and there's certainly all of these stresses probably magnified in the, te- in the leadership <laughs> as well. Absolutely, yes. yes. So you, you look at uh, you know, the pressures on uh, school leaders you know, who are outstanding educational leaders yet are being asked to pick up so many other roles within the school. It, it really is a, a very challenging profession that needs good mentorship and induction and support um, so that the well-being of, uh, of principals is, uh, is supported well. So that moves us nicely on to number three, which is providing effective induction and mentoring and meaningful professional learning that's sustained and authentic. Yes, I think this, this priority um, is a recommendation that's, that is mentioned here is harking back to my comment about you know, where are the pressure points on the teaching profession? Where do we know that uh, you know, which groups of teachers are feeling um, uh, more stressed than others and what could be put in place to support them? So that, that kind of two-year dropout that is common in Australia and also in other parts of the world um, is something that we absolutely need to be addressing. And uh, and that's through our induction and mentoring and even the supervision models that you often see in professions like psychologists where you have not necessarily a line manager but a supervisor that you can go to and be brief where you can talk through a case uh, that, that you're dealing with and get professional uh, support in uh, in helping to deal with that. So within this recommendation, you know, really encouraging schools and systems to think about the induction and mentoring programs that they have and the sorts of professional learning that they're providing. I think we've had such a keen focus on academic skills-based professional learning that our non-academic or non-cognitive skills, so skills like decision-making, um, uh, uh, social-emotional learning skills, communication and so on, these skills are, um, are as critically important and some would even argue that if, you're, if you don't have the ability to be able to get along with other people and be able to cooperate and to goal set and so on, that, that creates great difficulties for your academic outcomes. So professional learning focused on what are the wellbeing needs of the school as well as other, other needs is really important and that that's sustained, that there's a regular revisit that priority and uh, and engaging with staff to make sure that it's also authentic. So um, working with staff to uh, to consider the sorts of specific professional learning that they want that would um, uh, underpin their, their wellbeing, as well as uh, supporting their self-efficacy and, and skills in ways that they can support student wellbeing and learning. So part of this priority or this recommendation is about helping teachers to feel skilled that when they do have a student who is experiencing difficulties, that the teacher has enough skills or the school leader has enough skills that they feel that they can be helpful and that that visit from a student isn't, isn't in fact creating more stress and affecting teacher wellbeing because they, they don't feel they have the skills or mental health first aid, for example, to be able to support the student in that moment. 
This is vitally important, I think. And as you say, and certainly for an organisation that does an awful lot of professional learning and offers that for our schools, that it's a real area that we need to do more work on to engage with their staff, to make sure about the uh, wellbeing needs and to bring it out from uh, behind the closed curtain, so to speak. I, I agree, Shari. And I think um, part of the challenge also for schools is finding really good providers who can uh, give that level of training um, that is evidence-based. It, uh, it's an area that uh, there's uh, sadly a lot of quackery within with um, people with non-research-based uh, ideas about uh, here are some ways that you can address well-being. So really supporting schools to be able to make good decisions about uh, the professional learning that they're engaging in and to make sure that it's, of course, um, meaningful and, and useful and helping the whole school, not just um, particular subgroups within the school. Number four, you've got uh, tracking wellbeing priorities and progress to benchmark, monitor and effectively meet the wellbeing strengths and needs of the school community. The fourth priority, as you've just mentioned, uh, Shari, is about really tracking priorities and, uh, and understanding what they look like in your school and, of course, monitoring and using that information to work out what the school needs, so what, what are the strengths. Of, uh, of well-being within the school and what are the needs in the school community. And if we think about, you know, what could we be doing to support staff well-being, we can't, we don't really know where to start unless we understand uh, how how staff are tracking. So schools using um, whatever mechanisms they have to understand student well-being, um, those methods might be also helpful in uh, tracking staff well-being, but at least thinking about some way, you know, how... How do we know how our school is feeling and uh, and then what should we do about that? So some people might say, well, look, I can, there's the vibe, you know, we can't feel how the school's going. And that's helpful, but um, but not enough to, to really help schools to prioritise um, which issues they would like to address first. And I think by benchmarking, schools have that, that sense of where are we up to? Um, using whatever measure that might be. Maybe there's an uh, internal questionnaire that they're using or they have some other mechanism that they're having to monitor over time. So you know, how are our staff tracking through the second year of COVID and uh, you know, who are the staff that are, um, you know, what are the strengths that are coming out of our, our school as a result of this and also where are the needs that are appearing. But this information is really helpful to target so when I mentioned earlier, you know, we have scarce resources for wellbeing. We want to use those resources really well and wisely. And we also want to use teachers and, uh, and leaders' time really carefully. Everybody is so time poor in a school environment. When we've got evidence to know where we should be going and what we should be targeting, we then are using uh, the, the time most efficiently to, uh, to address what we, what we need to be doing to, uh, to get changed. And one last uh, finding in this this particular recommendation was the importance of sharing those wellbeing learnings. You know, thinking even about some communities of practice across schools, or even at system level, you know, um, uh, a nice um, repository of uh, of ideas about you now here are some of the ways that uh, that schools have engaged in wellbeing, and here are some priorities. Kind of um, forgive the term, but kind of low hanging fruit, that things that we can do really quickly that make a difference within the school so teachers feel cared for and, uh, and that someone's paying attention to their wellbeing, but also some longer-term planning, some actions that, um, that schools have in place. I think this sort of stuff really does um, sheet it home to people and, and it, that you care, and it's important, I think, when you're in a, 
a area where you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed to know that you have your colleagues have your back and that they're there for you and they really mean it um that that's so important isn't it i think uh, number five when we talk about the last of your recommendations is also a very important one um, that is advocating for government policy reform addressing staff workload resourcing and safety um, can we talk a bit about that one and this is the, the recommendation that uh, I feel almost needs to precede all of the four that we've discussed before, that without government recognising what school staff are experiencing and, uh, and limitations regarding resourcing, the, the frontline safety issues that staff have been experiencing, schools need support. And it was schools that kept our country going uh, through COVID. And I don't mean schools, I mean school staff and school leaders. So we must have government reform around looking at the drivers of, uh, of workload and workload intensification that uh, staff are reporting and experiencing. We also need to um, make sure that we've got appropriate resourcing to, to really help schools to respond to you know, what we see as just increasing complexity in student behaviour and, uh, and, and, of course, mental health and other wellbeing difficulties. And, and that, of course, amplified uh, with COVID. So if we want schools to remain strong and to be effective, we've got to resource them effectively. We've got to provide staff who can deal with the difficulties that, uh, that schools are being asked to respond to, community issues that really are not uh, school responsibilities, but uh, for which schools are, are being asked to help. And without that support, um, it really is going to be hard to, uh, to to maintain the quality of well-being that we need our school staff to have if we want our children to be successful. So it really goes back to if we if we want to ensure that you know we have excellence in education in Australia and uh, and we are offering the best opportunity for children in the most important years of their life um, for their their future career, we we must address staff well-being. We must address uh, teach well-being, and that that requires resources. Yes, it does. And it's really important that we have access to trained mental health professionals in all Australian schools to respond to this, isn't it? And unfortunately, there are not um, as many out there as we would like or need. The number of mental health professionals who are available in the wider community that, uh, that students and staff can uh, gain access to are um, experiencing huge wait lists, which means that um, the difficulties that children might be experiencing are washing back into the school environment. So having trained professionals within the school environment is critical and we don't have enough. And the ratio of trained professionals to students is, is far, far too high. Um, you know, we, need, we need more resource in schools if we want schools to, to keep standing. And, uh, and that also means uh, providing enough resource to train teachers who are already there to be able to kind of have that first sort of first aid response uh, to students and really support them until they can get uh, better help. But we also need to be focused on prevention and promotion, not just treatment and kind of ambulance catching at the end. We need the whole school system to be deeply focused on what can we be doing to protect children and then how do we identify children early who might be experiencing difficulties and, of course, for those children who are having great difficulties, getting the right levels of professional support that we can refer children to outside of the school community. 
That's fantastic, Donna. It's an amazing report and I think that you've certainly done a great job in, in honing all of that information into uh, very readable and uh, not very long, but it's got so much packed into it and those five recommendations are very much uh, something that we hope people take note of and we want to share. Schools, as you mentioned before, about sharing community of practice is something schools are good at and I think uh, the more that we do this and get the word out there from school to school and we hear from those that are doing well and we can uh, share that information across the board, that will be more helpful. Is there any other messages or lessons from your research or any of your other vast experience in this area that you would like to give to school leaders and staff who might be listening to the podcast? Anybody who knows me will know that, that my catch cry is always that uh, school leader and staff wellbeing is absolutely critical to help students reach their full potential. The role of schools, their sort of frontline work, has just been extraordinary in uh, supporting the health and development and learning of their students. So I, I would just like to put a call out that um, governments and school systems and really the community has to act now to really reduce the potential impact of what I'm going to call long covid in our school leaders, staff, and, uh, and of course students. You know, what's, what's going to be the impact of these two years and possibly longer uh, on our school system? And how do we prepare our school system for that? And what kinds of resourcing do we need? Um, and of course, lastly, just to uh, remind everybody how inextric inextricably linked um, the well-being of the school staff is to the well-being of school students and that we really, really really, need to be doing whatever we can to support that, that continuous process of wellbeing, growth and improvement within the school environment if we want our schools to continue to be successful. Thank you. Yes, we're all in it together, basically, aren't we? And it's not any one person or one group's uh, issue. It's everyone's issue that we all need to work together to solve. Indeed, and really prioritise and monitor school leader and staff wellbeing. Thank you so much, Donna. We really appreciate all of your information and work that you put into the report. And we also appreciate you talking to the School Bell. Thanks very much, Sorry. See you soon. You have been listening to The School Bell, an Independent Schools Queensland podcast. To learn more about Independent Schools Queensland, visit our website, isq.qld.edu.au and listen out for other episodes of The School Bell.